0: Welcome to Dietary Dialogue, a podcast dedicated to answering questions about the nutrition sciences major. Our topic today is opportunities in research, and our guest is Dr. Sarah Rosenkrantz. Dr. Sarah Rosenkrantz is an associate professor who joined the Department of Kinesiology and Nutrition Sciences in August of 2022. Dr. Rosenkrantz teaches kinesiology and nutrition sciences graduate courses, and she is a graduate faculty member with the Interdisciplinary Health Sciences PhD program. Dr. Rosencrantz earned her undergraduate degree in psychology from the University of Kansas and her master's degree in kinesiology and PhD in human nutrition from Kansas State University. Her research integrates nutrition, physical activity, and biomedical and behavioral outcomes. Dr. Rosencrantz focuses primarily on the role of lifestyle on cardiometabolic outcomes, including blood glucose, insulin, hemoglobin A1C, blood lipids, oxidative stress, and inflammation. Dr. Rosenkrantz, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we will jump straight into the questions. We had a bunch from students, so I kind of condensed them down into kind of main ideas for you. Uh, The first one being, how did you know that you wanted to complete your PhD and become a researcher?
1: I love that question, first of all. And the answer is, well, I don't think I did initially. Mm. So I had the opportunity when I was at Kansas State University to get my master's degree, and at that time, I was getting it in kinesiology, but I was really interested in the behavioral aspects of Mm -hmm. kinesiology. And I really sort of viewed that as my terminal degree Mm. until I went out and worked in the field. And I worked for USA Triathlon. I was doing coaching education, traveling around the the country, the world, um, trying to upskill and teach our future coaches in the sport. And I think what happened was I realized pretty quickly that there was a pretty low glass ceiling, there wasn't much room for advancement, and that I really needed the PhD credential behind my name to Mm. give me sort of the gravitas um, and be able to talk to the people in the field and be respected amongst them, and really to be able to do what I wanted to do ultimately, which was to work at the university. There weren't a lot of opportunities at that point in time for people who did not have that PhD credential. So that, you know, I, again, I would not say as an undergrad that I had this <laughs> big grand plan to go on and get my PhD, but opportunities came along the way, doors would open, and then you'd jump through those opportunities and, yeah. and grab them.
0: Yeah. How long did you work in between your master's and your PhD?
1: Five years. Okay. Yeah. So it was, it was a minute and uh, yeah. got some really good real life experience, which I absolutely integrate into my teaching <laughs> and into my research as well.
0: Nice. And then once you knew you wanted to get a PhD, did you know that research was going to come right along with that?
1: Oh, absolutely. I was very, very aware of that. I think that might have been one of the reasons I was not necessarily planning on that direction initially, (laughs) because I saw how hard the researchers worked and how many hours they put in. And I understood kind of this need to go out and write grants to be able to fund your work and also the publish or perish kind of idea. I wasn't really sure that that was what I wanted um, Mm. for my life at the time. But along the way, I fell in love with research and that whole process. I saw examples of people who I knew who were doing that same thing. And so it helped me to build my self-efficacy around my capacity to be able to do that work. Yeah. Um, and so all of those things led me to, to go ahead and jump in and say, yeah, I can do this.
0: Yeah. Very cool. I have a follow-up question that I just thought of because sure. I think that I resonate with this and a lot of students resonate with this. Were there times when you struggled in your undergraduate or your master's that you look back on now and you're like, oh, that'd be so easy to take that class now. But at the time, it was hard.
1: Oh, absolutely. I would say, you know, 100% on that. And um, so I think a lot of nutrition students and kinesiology as well uh, would understand the <laughs> difficulties we'll say with organic chemistry, for example, yes. <laughs> struggling through and a bio I took a biochemistry class yeah. as well, which I really loved, but it was quite challenging. Uh-huh. Statistics as an undergraduate, I have to say, conceptually didn't make much sense to me at all. Yeah, but once I got into graduate school, that was my happy spot because hmm. I found graduate school to be more aligned with my way of learning and hmm. thinking and understanding. Um, It was less kind of busy work, if I can use that, Yeah. Uh, less, you know, graduate school was less memorize and regurgitate and the kind of the knowledge piece, whereas the graduate program was more like, well, how do you think, can Mm -hmm. we solve problems, can we critically appraise, can we integrate and come up with our own ideas and discuss uh, Mm -hmm. a lot of reading, a lot of discussion, a lot of presentations and papers and things like that. But that was much more aligned with, with me and what I yeah. really loved. But yeah, I mean, absolutely. There's a term called imposter syndrome that yeah. you may be familiar with. And I think a lot of us struggle with that, mm-hmm. thinking that, oh, my gosh, all these people are so smart and they know so much and I don't know anything. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm just not as smart or capable as they are. And I think that just comes along with the territory. And it's difficult sometimes to overcome
0: that. Yeah. I think it's easy for us to look at students, or look at you guys as students, and be like, "Oh, they probably never struggled in this oh, class." no, absolutely so, not. And I love hearing that it's the yeah, opposite.
1: <laughs> absolutely, the opposite. And you know, you're, um, you know, that when you're signing up for grad school, you're signing up for some hard work, mm-hmm. and that you're signing up for a lot of time investment. But in the end, the payoff, at least for me and my circumstances, was was absolutely worth it.
0: Awesome. Yeah. Let's move on to our second question, which is, how do you decide on a research topic and what is the approval process like?
1: Okay, well, that's a a big question. Um, I'll try to answer it succinctly. (laughs) And I would say, selecting a research topic, I think the very first thing that you do is figure out what speaks to you. Hmm. And you you use the word resonate, I would say, that fits here. Like, what what do you love? What are you curious about? What do you wanna know more about? Sometimes it's very personal, and we Mm -hmm. call that me-search, which is really a good thing to do because you know that you're going to want to answer questions and understand the topic. Um, And then I think the other piece of it would be you're reading broadly about Mm -hmm. that kind of general topic and then coming to understand where the gaps in the research literature are. Mm -hmm. That's going to point you into some directions that are going to be really beneficial for you as a researcher because... Um, it will help you with getting funding, funding for things that are novel and new. Um, it would also help you getting published because it's not necessarily repeating something that's already been done. Mm-hmm. So really understanding like, where that sits in the body of evidence that we have and how mm-hmm. could you help to fill some of those gaps. Mm-hmm. So those two things align. It's where, where's your passion? What do you really want to know about? And then where are the gaps so that you're not, again, repeating exactly anyway yeah. what's already been done? The approval process, um, if you're working with humans, is gonna be through our human subjects IRB committee here.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: If you've got grant funding, um, it's maybe a little bit of different regulations, especially if they're through federal funding agencies. Um, so it's pre- quite extensive. It's really centered on ethical research practices, mm-hmm. which are really important to, to understand and to follow guidelines uh, so that we keep people safe including the researchers, so as sort of a, you know, covering their bases, too, and trying to protect them from anything in in terms of lawsuits or just doing something wrong and harming subjects, because none of us want that at all. So I think the approval process is pretty straightforward anymore, but you've got to have all of your decks in a row. You know exactly what you're going to do. You have your protocol for your research study developed, Mm -hmm. um, and you have your informed consent process thoroughly thought out. So it's a, uh, it's extensive and a lot of work, but yeah, if it, yeah that's essentially what we'll, we would do here.
0: How long in general would you say it takes between like, I've got an idea for research mm. and actually conducting the study?
1: Yeah, it could be quite long. I would say, you know, it could be as long as like six months, just depending on the nature of the study that you want to do mm-hmm. if it's very very complex obviously that's going to extend the time frame but if it's you know more straightforward that you know exactly what the question is that you're trying to answer and it doesn't take a a very long intervention to do it, then it can be a lot faster than that. Mm-hmm. And I think if you've got if you're working with a professor who's doing research who's got some great templates for you
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, as you're developing those materials for your your research, that can be really helpful and help speed things along in the process. Once you submit to IRB, you know you really should be able to get approval within a month mm-hmm. through them.
0: Yeah. Very cool. Our third question is What research are you working on right now? Oh, gosh. (laughs) Yeah,
1: so um, I have some really cool research that we just got funded for recently through Mm -hmm. a – it's basically through UNR Extension and UNLV. They put aside uh, $2 million to actually develop a collaboration between UNR and UNLV, which is fantastic. It's yeah. what we should be doing. Um, so I submitted a proposal along with Dr. Laura Kreskel, Dr. Richard Rosenkranz, and some collaborators from UNR, including Dr. Stephen Fries and then an extension um, faculty member, Alika Matian, who's actually a UNLV grad
0: oh, from cool. our programs.
1: Yeah, very cool. And. It's basically looking at a curriculum called Cooking Matters for Adults with the idea of prevention of type two diabetes. And so we are going to compare the Cooking Matters for Adults curriculum in its, you know, strictest sense mm-hmm. with the Cooking Matters for Adults curriculum plus some diabetes specific aspects, including having participants wear a continuous glucose monitor, which is really cool because in real time they can mm-hmm. see how what they're eating affects their, their glucose control. Yeah. And then also, we're going to do some initial gut microbiome work, which I'm Mm. really excited about. That's kind of the hottest trend in nutrition science, if you will. Yeah. And so my collaborator at UNR does a lot of work in that area. And we're gonna take samples, we're gonna have participants take samples, and this will include the control group as well as our intervention group with the enhanced version, and have them do six different samples. And we're gonna be able to understand what is the composition of their gut microbiome, um, what's the balance of the beneficial bacteria versus the harmful, and be able to kind of look at associations between that and other more typical health outcomes that we would look at. So in a pre-diabetic population, we're gonna be interested in insulin response, in um, triglycerides and other lipids. We'll be interested in HbA1c uh, percent to see where they are. And um, as part of it, we're gonna be giving participants fruits and vegetables each week that they come and they'll be able to take that home and incorporate it into recipes that they're making that it will fit within their specific diet. We're also gonna do some work with some of the other lifestyle behaviors. So okay. create a module that's around sleep and um, sleep behaviors that can be beneficial. Physical activity, we'll do some physical activity monitoring as well. So the study is gonna be pretty full on mm-hmm. um, and we'll be able to collect a lot of really great data. So we've got a couple of students who are planning on doing projects from the study.
0: Okay. Um,
1: and we aim, okay, I'm working on the IRB application yeah. right now, and um, the aim is to get that approved this semester and start recruiting next semester for that one.
0: Nice. How many participants would you expect?
1: Well, have? we're aiming for a sample size of 120 okay. across two-year period. So we'll be, obviously, we're running everything out of the nutrition center, and so we have yeah. a limit in terms of how big our classes can be. So we're thinking probably approximately 12 participants Per cohort and running two at the same time. So we'll, okay. they'll be randomized to either just get the cooking matters for adults or the enhanced version. Okay. And then one of the cool aspects I think is that after, like if you got randomized to the cooking matters for adults, that after you completed your intervention, we're actually going to go ahead and provide you with the same produce as what we supplied to the enhanced version. Okay. Equity issue. And we also, of course, want to promote healthy eating. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. That's so cool. And so You're hoping for about 120, and then you said over two years. So would it be like how long would each cohort be involved, all two years? Yeah. Uh,
1: No, actually, they would be involved for six weeks for the active intervention, and then we're going to follow up with them again to talk about whether or not they continued um, to do these beneficial behaviors in another six weeks. So each person would be about three months of time.
0: Nice. Yeah. And this is, for those listening, we had Chris Acosta on last week. Oh, and so yes. This sounds like the study yeah. that he was telling he us is, about.
1: He is integral in helping me develop materials, helping me determine, like, what our online platform is going to be, where we're going to house some of those materials. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he's doing a lot of some of the legwork on those pieces I was talking about for the yeah. IRB application. And, yeah, he's been invaluable.
0: Do you um, foresee needing any more help from undergraduate students once...
1: You know, absolutely. Um,
0: So we'll have a grad student
1: who's sort of serving as a project coordinator who can be over at the nutrition center a lot of the time. And Mm -hmm. there will certainly be opportunities for people to be, you know, all hands on deck with getting the produce ready to go with helping with the cooking classes themselves um, and other aspects of data collection as they're interested. So i love having undergraduate researchers so yeah this one's gonna again kind of require all hands on deck so we need a lot of involved yeah it it is definitely very involved and anytime you do uh, a clinical trial intervention Mm -hmm. it's a lot of work it's a lot of moving parts and yeah i haven't developed one from scratch in quite a long time Mm because i had some that were ongoing where i was before at kansas state university and um you know really am reminded this semester of how much work it actually is yeah
0: so if anybody listening is interested in that just keep your ears open I'm sure once you need people you can feel free to reach out to me reach out with S N D A and we will yeah. find you people yeah because we have students all the time who are like we talk about research and they're like I don't know I don't really know what it would be like and so just the more yeah. information you get the more prepared I feel like at least for me for my future yeah. so just even going and being able to walk from that ex- away from that experience maybe being like actually I don't think research for me is for me or walking away I me mean, like that was really fun and that was really interesting I want to learn more you yeah. know is is just a good place to start and undergrads in my opinion can start out
1: um in many different ways I see it as kind of a continuum I have you know some undergrads who are more like I just want to come and observe and see mm-hmm. what this is all about okay and I have some who are like well Can I get involved a little bit and maybe doing some of the finger sticks for the blood samples to run the HbA1c analyses or run the BIA machine to get, you know, height, weight and body composition. Um, And so we can do that. Mm -hmm. I have others who come and they're like, I need to do a project for my culminating experience or something like that. And we may even add on a piece or just answer a slightly different question with them. And then sometimes I have them are like, okay, I'm gonna do a thesis mm-hmm. and we're gonna develop something kind of from the ground up. So it can happen along a continuum and I'm happy to to meet people where they are and help yeah. them to meet whatever their goals are.
0: Yeah, I know that in the masters for nutrition sciences, there is a thesis track and then a non-thesis track. Mm-hmm. So are you working with just PhD students or also master's students? Oh, definitely um, also master okay. students,
1: probably mostly master students because okay. um, our PhD is obviously in um, you know, interdisciplinary health sciences. And yeah. so sometimes I think it's hard for people in nutrition to say, oh, that's where I fit. Yeah. Uh, even though there is a kinesiology and nutrition sciences track within that that interdisciplinary PhD program. And I do have a new PhD student starting uh-huh. next semester, um, which is fantastic. But, yeah, master's students for sure. And I particularly like to work with master's students who are interested in research.
0: Yeah. yeah. And for, I think, a lot of students who are kind of like, do I – want to become an RD? Do I want to do research? All these questions Mm. kind of going in their mind. I think now having that requirement of needing to do a master's, I don't know if you foresee this, but I foresee a lot more students being interested in research just because they otherwise wouldn't be doing a master's. They may have just gone to their internship. Now they're going to do the master's. And maybe I can foresee a lot of them being like, well, I'm here. I'm kind of interested. I might as well do the thesis track.
1: Yeah. That's my hope, (laughs) um, just personally, because I think the point of the academy creating this, mm-hmm. you know, required masters was was really about that. Because if you're going to do evidence-based practice, it's really important to truly understand research and the research mm-hmm. process. So, if nothing else, learning to evaluate, critically appraise research, being able to find and seek what answers you're looking for mm-hmm. is essential. Um, but we also need practice-based evidence. And yeah. so, if you think about it as a cyclical function, so we have evidence-based practice, but we also have practice-based evidence, and we mm-hmm. need both aspects of that to truly help to answer questions, to move the field forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also would argue that, you know, it is kind of a, a for future registered dietitian nutritionists, you know, really, again, it's like, well, I've got this credential be my, behind my name, and now maybe yeah. that garners some more respect and that people will treat them more as equals, um, and yeah. That's the hope, and so I think, yeah, if you can get involved in research, that's going to help you with your application. It's yeah. going to strengthen it definitely. And if you get involved in such a way that you actually come out with your name on a publication, even better. If you're going to do mm-hmm. some presentations around the work that you've done, even better, mm. because that is the kind of thing that people are looking for when you're applying to graduate programs. It's going to certainly, in you know, enhance your application. Yeah. Um, so if, you know, again, but hopefully it sparks an interest like what you were saying yeah. and get you interested in getting involved further.
0: And even just exactly what you were saying, having more evidence-based practice. Like I think for myself, I know that um, counseling one-on-one with people is with area of nutrition that I'm like, die hard. I love this. Mm-hmm. I want to do this. But I see that happen all the time with a lack of evidence, right? And so you can be really passionate about something, but if you have the evidence behind it, that's when you're actually gonna help people.
1: Oh, no, absolutely. and But of course, evidence-based practice is a three-part thing, right? Yeah. So your clinical expertise is essential, right? The values and experiences that your your patient or client bring to the table are incredibly important to understand. Mm-hmm. And then you've got the evidence and they're all really critical to evidence-based practice, right? So people sometimes think evidence-based practice only means what the research says, but that's absolutely not true. Those other aspects are incredibly important and where those
0: intersect is where you wanna be. Hmm. Yeah. That's very cool, I like that. I'm gonna listen to this again and then write that one down. (laughs) I can't write it down right now. Um, Our next question moving on is kind of going along with what we were just talking about. They asked if students can get involved in research when they're a freshman and a sophomore or if it's just juniors and seniors.
1: Oh, no, they can definitely get involved in research. Um, You know, I've I've had people come to me as freshmen and sophomores. That's absolutely no problem at all. Um, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: You know, the earlier the better if you think research is really what you want to do, which, you know, some people are there. They're like, I want to do academia. That's where I want to be. And if that's you, then, yeah, get involved as soon as you possibly can. Mm -hmm. The more experience, the better building your skills and abilities and and confidence around research is is really important but but from my perspective there's no you know there's no limit on like where you are in your program that says whether or not you can participate in research so Mm
0: -hmm. very cool and i'll talk a little bit more about at the end but there is a fire program which is um, fyre which is just meant for freshmen so if you're a freshman listening to this i'll talk more about that at the end uh, in our announcements And the next question is, if we have a special interest in a topic, how can we find a professor conducting research in that topic? And how do you suggest we try to get involved?
1: Yeah, so that one's a little bit more challenging. So there's a couple of things, I guess, tips that I can give you. Mm -hmm. One is, you know, you may hear about research that faculty members in in your department are doing. And certainly feel free to reach out to them via email and ask if there are opportunities to get involved in their research. Um, I think there's you know many people who are willing eager and able to take on some yeah. undergraduate researchers if if it's not necessarily in your department but something outside of your department one way to go is go to the office of undergraduate research mm-hmm. and they have research advising appointments that you can set up where they're going to help to try to connect you with a researcher on campus who might be able to accommodate that so i think there's those two primary ways and then i think just you know, word of mouth, perhaps some of the professors you've taken classes with, like I said before, yeah. and one other avenue, although I found out the other day, this tool on the website is not perfect, <laughs> is that there's like a an expertise section within the UNLV website. Okay. So you can actually search for experts in particular areas, and there's one in the drop-down menu for nutrition and dietetics, but if there's a specific term that's mm-hmm. going to connect really well with what your interests are, you can search according to that term, and it's going to pop up with anybody who's registered in that expert profile who's identified that as a key term or word that, that fits with what their research yeah. is. So that's pretty cool. I'm I'm in there, but if you search by my name, you won't find me unless you use my middle initial, which is <laughs> that was the struggle yesterday. I was like, why am I not in this registry anymore? Yeah. But yeah, it's kind of a little bit finicky.
0: But might work a little bit better if you search. So maybe if they're searching for like a topic, like I'm interested in diabetes, yeah. maybe search diabetes, yeah. type 2 diabetes. Absolutely. Diabetes, you, know. you might
1: have to play around with your yeah. searches within that, but that is kind of a neat way too to connect with who's on campus who is who considers themselves to be experts
0: in that mm-hmm. area absolutely yeah. and we'll put the information for the office of undergraduate research in the show notes as well so you guys can link directly to there great so and then our next question is how does independent study work and how do we get approved for it
1: ah so independent study is typically done by the undergraduate themselves, Mm -hmm. reaching out to a faculty member who they might be interested in working with. And it could be more than one. Mm -hmm. And um, so, for example, I have a Kin 499 student right now who's doing an independent study with me, which is heavily involved in helping to build some of the materials for this intervention that I was just talking about. Um, And she's great. And, And basically what happened is she talked to a few different faculty members about what her interests were and how they might align with that faculty member's interests. And then after a conversation with them, she determined who she wanted to work with. Mm. And so after that, basically we filled out some paperwork that was required to say what she was gonna be doing in her independent study, what are the outcomes gonna be, and sort of what are the topic areas that she was gonna be working on. Mm. Um, In this case, it ended up being a big part of the sleep piece of that intervention I was talking about. And so she's been looking at tools to assess sleep quantity and quality, um, and also looking at things that we could do to develop um, intervention pieces that are informational and applied, and what they could do to overcome barriers to a good night's sleep. Yeah. Um, related highly to sleep hygiene and some other things, too. But so then. She's going to do a presentation to our lab group later on in the semester to fulfill that kind of communication requirement. So yeah. so it's a, a mutual agreement between that person. You have to get permission, so you can't mm-hmm. just enroll in an independent study uh, because, you, of course, you want that professor to know, hey,
0: yeah.
1: I want to do this. And, and you want to have a discussion and conversation to see if it feels like a good fit for the yeah. student. So that's, you know, it's not a difficult process but you know you have to be brave and reach out to to those faculty who you might want to be working with
0: and I think it so this podcast itself is an independent study and um, I think it can kind of vary yeah depending on like like for me it was I have this idea and I needed advisor to approve it and guide me in it but it was not something my advisor was already conducting on their own right versus your student can come to you for kin 499 and kind of say this is what you're already doing this is how i'd want to enhance this and and, you know create this an undergraduate program and work together that way so i think there's a varying degree of
1: oh yeah just like i was saying on that continuum of involvement some people might come to me and say i really want to get involved in research but i don't really know what i want to do yeah and so then we have a conversation about what that might look like and how they can get involved and give them some options. Like I've got another study going on that I didn't talk about, but Mm -hmm. I do, um, that's really looking at interpersonal variability in postprandial responses to different macronutrient compositions of meals Mm -hmm. to compare the between participant differences to the within participant differences,
0: Okay,
1: kind of thinking about how lifestyle factors are going to influence that variability. So there's, you know, numerous opportunities, but I think, you know, it's really, some people come with more developed ideas for what they want to do, and some people come with help, you know, help guide me, and either of those are perfectly acceptable.
0: Yeah, I think it's the willingness, and and you do have to be comfortable to a certain extent of working on your own, even if you're coming to somebody because I know I've talked to a couple of students who are like oh yeah I'd want to do an independent study and I will tell them because I know a couple of students who've done independent studies I know from working on this podcast like you've got to be comfortable with taking a lead and with kind of setting your own schedule for whatever you're doing so
1: yeah 100% yeah and I'd say I meet pretty regularly with the student maybe Mm -hmm. once every couple of weeks but then they're off on their own kind of doing the work and then Mm -hmm. next time we come together and meet they're reporting back on what they've been doing, and we go, okay, what are our next steps? And so I guide their work, but yeah. they are doing it you know, yeah. very much on their own.
0: That's yeah. very cool. Our last question is what advice do you get? would you give for students who are interested in research but might be intimidated by it? Oh,
1: okay, <laughs> so here's uh, my mantra, and I will say this many times, um, is everybody's a researcher, whether you realize it or not. And everybody can be a researcher, and you are capable of helping, you're capable of reading and understanding and appraising research, and that makes you a researcher, okay? So I'll start with that. And I do know it's intimidating, but I think there's a lot of very, very approachable people in kinesiology and nutrition sciences and, of course, other departments and disciplines across campus. And most of us are here because we like to work with students and we're really interested in helping them learn. Mm -hmm. Uh, Where I am in my career, I think that's my favorite part is mentoring students and helping them to achieve great things, go off into the future and, you know, be my sort of research children (laughs) who are spreading, you know, the good word on research. And um, so I love that. But yeah, I mean, I think It's a matter of seeking resources. So Office of Undergraduate Research, again, they have some excellent resources. They have some training opportunities to help you upskill yourself, maybe even before you would go and talk to a faculty member. Yeah. I'd say... Get in early. Don't be afraid. And you know, the more you're involved, the more you can be involved. So yeah, if you talked to Chris Acosta, I think he's a great <laughs> example of that. Uh, sorry, I'm name dropping here, but yeah, I mean, he <laughs> feel free to name drop him. <laughs> he was involved in um, some research that my husband was leading, and you know, we were very impressed with him and his work ethic and his ability to work independently, and so invited him to get involved in some more research. And that's kind of yeah. how it happens uh, oftentimes. So. <laughs> So I would just say, don't be afraid. Even if you're not, you know, you don't have a lot of experience in research, you gotta start somewhere.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I will say, when I saw this question, I immediately thought of, my brother's in medical school right now, and I will often read a paper, and it'll have some sort of abbreviation, and I'll be like, I don't know what oh, yeah. that is, and I'll just text him, and he always shoots back what it is right away, because right, he reads papers all the time. Yes. and. I went back and was like, oh, here's this acronym again. I know I've asked about it before. So I went back to my text with him the other day, and it was a list of acronyms I had asked him about. And I knew what every single one of them were except for that one that I was going back to. And I was like, I didn't know what those were six months ago when I asked him. And so I think you kind of get accustomed to it. And we as undergraduate students can, like, not realize how much we've grown, if that makes sense. Yes,
1: that's so true. I think that's often the case is that you forgot how much you know when it's compared to people who haven't had the same educational experiences that you've had you forget how much expertise you
0: actually have yeah i thought about that when you said we're all researchers we are it's like absolutely so much every day we're (laughs)
1: making observations we're making hypotheses we're you know maybe wrongly so but we're still doing that and that's how we understand the world around us
0: very cool i love that uh anything else you'd like to add before we close out uh um, not really i just okay. say
1: you know don't be afraid don't be intimidated uh, reach out to us that's what we're here for and we would love to get more undergrads involved in research so awesome. sh- just give
0: us a shout thank you so much as a matter of announcements we just had our second snda meeting of the year in october and so if you were not able to receive the newsletter or you weren't able to go to that meeting feel free to reach out my email will be in the show notes and we can recap you on everything we discussed and we will have, like I said, um, the information about FIRE, or which is research for specifically freshmen in their undergraduate program. In the show notes, you can reach out there. It's through the Office of Undergraduate Research. And we will, if it's okay with you, include your email Yeah, great. for anybody who has any follow-up questions for Dr. Rosencrantz. And we will talk to you guys next time. Thank you. Thank you.